Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com, code GLOW. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drahada, Dundalk and Cavan. We have amazing offers available across the new and pre-owned Renault, Dacia and Opel range. And a car finance specialist on site to arrange a finance package that suits your budget. Low APR and zero deposit packages available. See blackstonemotors.ie. Good afternoon. You're very welcome along to Late Lunch here on LMFM. Joan Larkin sitting in for Jerry today. I do hope you can stay with us. We've lots coming up on the show today. And as always, you can text or WhatsApp us with your questions and your comments on 086-1800-658. Lovely and sunny as I was driving in here today, but I see the weather is set to turn very wet. Thunder, lightning, flooding is apparently on the cards. So bring the umbrella with you if you do have to venture out this afternoon. Now, as always, on a Tuesday afternoon, we go straight to Professor Sir Paul Moyna, he's an immunologist at Maynooth University for the latest on the COVID situation and he's on the line. Good afternoon, Paul. Good afternoon, John. So, Paul, I suppose the big story the last few days is the hacking of the HSE computer system by, it seems, Russian hackers. Has this affected things badly um, in in the line of COVID testing or or the vaccine rollout? I think more so in terms of uh, testing. So I think a lot of testing centres now, it's really walk-in so referrals through GPs, a lot of those electronic uh, services obviously are down at the moment. So that has created uh, some problems. I think vaccination is still uh, proceeding fairly efficiently, but obviously it's, it's a big hit for the, the HSC to take. So it certainly doesn't help at a time when we're trying to roll out the vaccination programme as quickly as possible. It's the last thing they needed, really, but the government are adamant that they won't negotiate with the hackers. I wonder, have they a plan B then? Yeah, so, well, I, I think that situation, I think it's difficult for a sovereign state to be seen to be uh, sort of negotiating with them. Mm. And obviously, it would encourage them and then make, you know, other departments within government as well, um, you know, at risk as well. I think maybe some private organisations have negotiated with these in the past, but I think most sovereign nations have decided not mm. to, and that's probably what's going to happen in this case, I would say. Yes, yeah, so we can just wait and see, I suppose. But where are we with the vaccine rollout at the moment? Is it still on track then? Still generally on track. You know, we have this milestone that hopefully by the end of June we'll have over 80% of the adult population vaccinated, maybe falling behind maybe by a week or two. Um, yesterday uh, we got news that the recommendation from NIAC is that the vaccines from AstraZeneca and Johnson Johnson they can be used for the those in their 40s, provided there's no other of the mRNA vaccines available. And that's probably good news in the sense that it increases the, you know, the availability mm-hmm. of the vaccines that actually we have. Whereas if that hadn't have been the advice, then you know, that remains to be seen in terms of how the HSE can implement this mm. um, I was just about to, sorry, Paul, I was about to ask you about the AstraZeneca vaccine. Uh, and the people will say who've had the first dose of that, especially people will say working in the front line that might be in their 20s or 30s. And it's not recommended now that they get the second one. So are, or can vaccines be mixed? They the can in theory be mixed. And actually there's a lot of scientific evidence that suggests 
it's actually probably better if you use two different vaccines. But unfortunately, the trials haven't been performed with mixing of vaccines. So far, all of the trials have focused on using the same vaccine for first and second uh, dose. So, and if you look at these very rare events, these very rare clotting events that are seen to be associated with AstraZeneca and possibly Johnson Johnson, they seem to be associated with the first dose and not the second dose. So I think generally going forward, it probably will be safe you know, to take the second dose if you haven't shown any of these very rare side effects in response to the first dose. Oh, right, OK. Yeah. And the other good news is that you know, there's a lot of data coming out now that even with the first dose, you know, we're seeing very significant antibodies being produced and quite good protection even after the first dose. But it is important to get the second dose, even though that can be delayed for many number of weeks. But it still is important because that increases the duration of protection and the duration of immunity. So it is important to get that second dose. I was just about to say that to you. Supposing you have someone young, healthy, fit in their 20s, got the first AstraZeneca producing marvellous antibodies now at this stage. Is there a need, do you think, for those people to still get the second? There is. Yeah, there's a few different reasons there, Joan. Uh, so one is, as I said, it increases the duration of immunity. It probably increases the efficiency of the antibodies and makes them more effective and in the case of some of the vaccines, it's better to get the second dose in terms of protecting some of the variants. So with the second dose, the antibodies are much better in terms of blocking the virus from infecting our cells, including some of the variants. So certainly you'd recommend to get that second dose. It should be said that one of the vaccines, Johnson Johnson, that's a single dose vaccine. And really the only reason why some people are confused there, why is this a single dose and the other double dose? The trial was designed to test the effectiveness of a single dose in the case of Johnson mm. Johnson and it is very effective but Johnson Johnson are also in trials at the moment to see if the efficiency can be increased even more mm. by giving, giving a second dose so mm. these vaccines to work well with first dose work even better with second dose. There's still a bit of vaccine hesitancy out there though Paul isn't there? I mean and there's a huge campaign there seems to be of misinformation online um, trying to tell people not to get vaccinated at all I mean what would you say to people who are very, very worried because they're believing stuff that they see online and they're afraid of this vaccination. Yeah, there's probably two groups, uh, Joan. One is, as you said, some who are maybe deliberately spreading misinformation. And in those cases, it's probably very difficult to appeal to them. It's probably a a small minority of people, I would say. Then there are others who would have genuine concerns and maybe worries about taking the vaccine or even in terms of, if you look at the AstraZeneca and Johnson Johnson, know that the advice has changed over time. What I would say is that if you look at all the evidence for these vaccines, these are all very effective and they're all very safe. If you look at all the medications we take, vaccines by far the safest medicines that we take today. With some of them, there are some identified risks, albeit very, very Mm. rare risks. And if you look and you compare the benefits and the risks, in all cases, the European Medicines Agency says that for all of these vaccines, that have been approved, the four of them have been approved so far in Europe, the benefits far outweigh uh, the risks. Mm. So I think that's certainly a positive thing. Yeah, and the mood of the country, of course, has lifted considerably with the reopening of the so-called non-essential businesses yesterday. Would you be hopeful now for a return to some kind of normal soon? Yeah, I think so. I think it's really important if if you look at the real world data from rollout of these vaccines across a number of countries, for example, Israel and UK are ahead of us. We begin to see that once we get above 50% 50% of the population being vaccinated, we see very good effects in terms of not only directly protecting the people who've been vaccinated, but also in suppressing transmission of the virus. So I think as we begin over the next number of weeks, to get above that 50% and our aspiration to get to 80%, mm. I think we're going to see significant effects then in terms of reducing our numbers, reducing you know susceptibility of those who are vulnerable. And I think as we get towards you know June and July, mm. we should be in, in a much better place and begin to get back to some some form of normality. Of course, there's still the risk then in winter time if the virus transmits better during the winter time. It's really important that everybody is transmitted before mm. the winter time. So that's a really important time mm. as well. So hopefully by the end of June, eighty percent of adults will have had this vaccination, and then we wait and hope for a good summer, Paul. We 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 hope so, Joan, and hopefully the the good weather will help as well. As I said said before to Jerry a number of times, I think there probably is a, a degree of seasonality to the yeah. virus where yeah. the virus doesn't transmit as well during the summer. Yeah. It's better during the winter. So hopefully those summer months will help us on a number of fronts. We wait and see, don't we? Paul Moyna, immunologist with Maynooth University. Thanks a million for joining us on Late Lunch today. Thanks, Paul.
Thank you, Joe. Take care. Bye bye. Welcome back to Late Lunch. A story now to lift the spirits and gladden the heart. A year ago, three little baby girls came into the world. They were a super rare, identical triplets born to Emma Lennon and David Hopkins. And Emma and David, join me on the line now to tell me how they're all getting on. How are you guys? Hiya, Joe. How are you? Okay. Welcome to Late Lunch. Now, the chances of having three identical babies conceived naturally was 200 million to one. Take us back there for a moment when you got the news that you were expecting triplets, Emma. I'll have to ask David to tell you this because <laughs> he's the one that fell to his knees and, uh, and, and and I think the shock was more physical on his body than my own. So, uh. <laughs> Fire away, David. How did you feel? <laughs> It started out as a regular day. <laughs> no, well, uh, basically, we were going up for the scan for the first baby, and uh, well, the first baby I thought crying for two years, and, and we finally got it done. It was it was an exciting day, you know. So mm. uh, we went up to the hospital to get the scan, as you do, and uh, we went into the 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 room where they do the scan, you know. Uh, it was just all normal. The nurse put the jelly on Emma's belly, and all as we do. And then uh, they put the little machine on and just rolling around the baby. Like, and then uh, she came over the first baby. She's like, oh, there's the beautiful little soul there. And I was like, no, oh, there's me baby. And then, like, she moved it another little bit. And she's like, oh, there's two beautiful little souls. And then I kind of, like, it wasn't too bad, but it was. It did shake me a little bit. But then she moved it again. And she's like, oh, oh. There's three little beautiful souls in there. And after that, I just literally dropped to my knees from the chair. <laughs> I was crawling up and down the room like, on, like, like a dog in absolute hysterics laughing. Like, I couldn't control myself. I, just, I didn't know it was a laugh. Roy, wet myself. Oh, my God. Just say to her, take that thing off her tummy in case you find any more. Stop counting. Stop counting babies. Stop <laughs> counting babies. <laughs> oh, my uh, goodness. And shock me. I, I, I've never felt anything like that. I haven't felt it since. Oh, and they're a year oh. old now. Can you imagine? They're, that year, did it go very quickly? It feels like we've only had them home about two months, to be honest with you, yeah. Joan, but... They're bloody flying along at the minute. Yeah, they're thriving down there. Uh, little Quinny is starting to stand up now. She's taking her four steps. Uh, Callie's not too far behind her. She's even saying dad, dad now. So uh, yeah, it's kind of them growing. You gave them very. You, you gave them lovely names. We should tell people they're called Callie, Minnie, and Quinn. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and, and Minnie is called Minnie because she was the smallest. That's her namesake. So. We knew she was going to be a small baby all the way through. Yeah. She's so called Minnie. She was called Minnie, yeah. And, and you also have Callie. another lovely girl at home, haven't you? Casey, yeah. She's going to be 11 next month in June. And how is she getting on with the three little sisters? Ah, she's the best big sister in Batestown. That's what we tell her every every day. She's 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 a great big sister. She was, yeah. I was only saying there, uh, she asked me to start calling her little mama. Oh, oh bless her. She <laughs> She she's great. She's a great help, but like we try not to ask her to do too much because mm. you know, like having a little sister, take her out to play with you. You don't want you want them to to all get on. You don't want her to be resentful and like yeah, babysitter as well. Exactly know? because identical triplets are going to get an awful lot of attention anyway, aren't they? they? Do. Yeah, like we had our first little shopping trip out to the pavilions there today. Um, I had to. I'm back to work, so I I just had to go and collect a couple of bits. And uh, we we said we'd wander into the pavilions and like every like it's a it's it's a big pram you know yeah people can it's it's not every day that you see a, a triple buggy strolling around the place so we do get stopped and there is a lot of attention but Casey deals with it in her stride she's just she's just a little topper she's brilliant we're blessed with all the girls yeah and they look identical they're completely alike are they can can you tell the differences. Yeah, like I can tell them apart straight away, um, but they are identical. Like other people can tell them apart. David, I think sometimes you get a little bit confused. But <laughs> yeah, so I, 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 it's, it's more than sometimes. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, that's me. And then there's quite a saying in the house where we are, y'all look alike, y'all look alike. <laughs> and Emma, how's it been going back to work? You must have felt dreadful guilt leaving the little girls, did you? Do you know what? On the fourth day, when I was I was looking at them in the in the bed, um, and it kind of hit me like I'm leaving the house, and yeah. I was like happy to go back to work because I'm I'm in a very lucky uh, position that I actually love my job, and 
uh, I opened up a business before I found out I was having the triplets and the and the girl that I opened the business with is one of my best pals and she's after opening up a salon and brought it there so that's where Your I'm hairdressers, yeah? Yeah, she's after opening up there on John Street called yeah. the Mel Studio so I'm absolutely delighted to be able to go back to work on town then yeah. as well and to work with friends and I'm lucky to be able to do that but I was guilty. I did feel the guilt in the morning, but to be honest with you, like David is at home with the girls. They're not in crash, so we know that the routine that we've like done such hard work to establish um yeah. is, is going to is going to be kept on going because we're in a position where David works um part time in the evenings and then I work part time daytimes in the week. So yeah, we're, best of both worlds, really. Yeah. And Emma, I'd read that you had said previously that David's fantastic with the girls and, and you feel that men don't get enough credit. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I am very confident to go out to work. I know, like, the routine, like, the back of my hand and I know what's going on at home, but David is an amazing father to the babies and he really threw himself hands in, or all in, I should say, hands on everything. Yeah. He's, he's great and I really do. I think that probably... People are, assume that the, like the woman is going to stay at home or the mother is going to stay at home and 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 mind the babies. But we're living in the, in a, in a new world now, you know. Yeah, and it's a shared sure. responsibility. Like everybody picks up the sweeping brush in this house. Like it's not just one person's role, you know. So yeah, I think that yeah. should be reflected in childcare. And I don't think men get enough credit for for looking after their own their own children. yeah <laughs> their own their own children so what did you guys do then to celebrate the birthday the big one for the three girls well we went off to the zoo on Friday we had a, a lovely day out at Dublin Zoo uh, we had the grandparents with us it was just that was uh, lovely, the girls yeah. Casey and the grandparents and Dick and myself and David obviously and uh, we went up and had a lovely day out just uh, going around the zoo Quinn was more interested in the traffic Really, <laughs> than the animals. But isn't it lovely to be able to get out and about with them again and go to places like the zoo? And sure, the summer is coming now. You're going to have a great time with the girls. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And David will be pounding the pavements about his town with that pram now when the sunny weather is coming in while I'm in work. So everybody keep an eye out for David now walking with his triplet pram and his three lovely girls. Oh, they're already well, well, well away around this town. Yeah. Listen, guys, it's been great to talk to you. Thanks a million. We're going to go out with a, a special song, especially for you guys. Here's Lionel oh, Richie. Take care. Bye bye. Thank you. Bye. Now we're going to talk about a subject that isn't talked about much, probably really should be, and on the line to discuss all things to do with scalp issues is Dr Liam Byrne. Liam, you're the only specialist in Ireland dealing with these issues, is that right? Uh, hello, Joan. Hi, Liam. Uh, first of all, Joan, I wish I'm actually not a doctor. I'm a consultant trichologist. Oh, I do beg your pardon. No, you're OK, don't worry. <laughs> Um, I'm a member of the Institute of Trichologists, which is based in the UK, but has members worldwide. And actually, I'm currently the vice chairperson of the Institute. Well, you're Uh, very welcome along to late lunch this afternoon. And also, uh, no, I'm not the only uh, member of the Institute in Ireland. Uh, I I think there are actually five of us. I should know off the top of my head, but you caught me out there. No, don't worry at all. But even five is a very small number indeed, because a large number of people have issues with their scalps. It's something we don't think about. It's something that's not talked about. But can you give us an idea, Liam, what kind of problems you see on a regular basis? Okay, so in terms of, uh, say, scalp conditions, obviously the most common one that that I'd see um, would be dandruff or what's called pityriasis capitis, uh, to give it its proper name. And essentially it's the most common, you know, over 50% of the the population suffer from dandruff. It's it's caused by a fungi called Malicia, Malicia globosa. And essentially, you know, there's no cure for it, but it's very, very easy to control and keep under control. Then following on from that, you've got uh, seborrheic dermatitis or eczema. Dermatitis and eczema are the same thing. Um, And then uh, psoriasis um, and Mm. also then a condition called pityriasis amiantasia. The pityriasis amiantasia is linked with uh, eczema, dermatitis and psoriasis. And it's a condition where the scaling uh, kind of sticks to the hair and builds mm. up. And when you take it off, uh, sometimes the hair comes with it, but it will grow back. It's only mm. a temporary hair loss. In, a, in adults, does that look something like cradle cap would look in a baby? 
Yeah, that would be eczema. Yeah. yeah. Uh, um, say, for example, you know, eczema. And I tend to use the word, Joan, eczema and dermatitis. I, they're, they're both the same thing. Yeah. So I tend to kind of interchange be- between the two of them. But essentially, yeah, credit cap would be a form of, of eczema. And do you find, Liam, when people come in, they're embarrassed about these issues? Uh, they used to be, Joan, but not anymore, thank God. Um, you know, the, the it used to be, particularly with psoriasis and that, uh, a lot of people wouldn't go to the hairdressers, probably wouldn't even go swimming with psoriasis on their body. Yeah. But not anymore, no. No, absolutely not. And, and more and more hairdressers are taking a huge interest in, in hair and scalp problems, which is a great thing, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, the more people, I suppose, that deal with it, the more people who talk about it and normalise it. Exactly. It doesn't become. So what I mean, what do you think? There's a lot of issues we could talk about, but I see stress as a a huge thing. Is that a contributing factor in causing any of these scalp issues? Uh, Absolutely. Uh, Stress anecdotally has always been, you know, um, you know, we'd always say, you know, hair loss, uh, exacerbation. Stress won't cause, for example, dandruff or it won't cause eczema if you don't have a predisposition to it. But it can certainly aggravate it. Um, and likewise with hair loss. Um, so it was always anecdotally known that stress could cause hair loss. But now with research, uh, definitely uh, there is a link between stress and and uh, hair loss, particularly because of the effect that it has on your hormone levels, particularly cortisol. And cortisol increases inflammation. And that. So, yeah, definitely there is a link between the two. Of course, stress really is responsible for so many things, isn't it? In in, in the human body, stress and people say, oh, I'm stressed. But when you're really, really stressed, it manifests physically, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm. Um, you know, as I said, I see it all the time where, where people would have a predisposition, say, for example, to eczema, psoriasis or whatever, and, and they go through a stressful episode in their life. And the condition flares up. Yeah, um, course, you yeah. know, absolutely. A couple of questions here from listeners, um, if you don't mind, Liam. No, can, can anything be done to reverse premature balding? Because there's lots of lotions and potions on the market that claim to rejuvenate the hair follicles. Do these work? What do you okay. think? Okay. <laughs> uh, okay. So essentially, um, say we deal with this. this Premature balding can, if you like, I presume we're talking about men here. Mm-hmm. So. Yes, yes, I think yeah. so, yes. Yeah, so essentially there are two uh, two treatments that have been uh, approved by the FDA, the Food and Drugs Administration, uh, for for uh, male patent hair loss or what's called androgenic alopecia. Uh, the first one is minoxidil, which is, you know, you see it in the chemist under a brand mm-hmm. name, uh, Regain. So essentially, uh, Regain um, or Minoxidil, if I just give you a back uh, story about it, it's actually a drug that that when I first started studying trichology back in the 80s, uh, came to light as a a treatment for for male patent hair loss. And uh, it it was or is a tablet that's given for uh, high blood pressure, it's a vasodilator. And they noticed that men who were taking it suddenly started to grow some hair on the top of the head. They then uh, put it in a, a topical solution and started studying it. Mm. So the, the answer to it, Joan, is that it does not make new hair grow. Okay. So, um, it, but what it can do is it can prolong the growth phase of the hair cycle. So when our hair grows uh, in a cycle, what means is uh, one individual hair follicle, and we've got approximately 100,000 of them on our head. It, it goes through a cycle of it grows, and it, uh, the hair grows for a period of years. Then it goes into a transition phase and then it falls out. And what happens is as men are going bald, that, that growing phase or antigen shortens. So therefore, the hair that it, you produce on the top of your head uh, becomes finer and finer and finer because you, the hair is not grown mm. for as long, so mm. the fibre is not as thick. So what regain can do or minoxidil can do is in those individuals uh, it can actually prolong the growth cycle. So it's not making new hair grow, but what it's doing is making the hair grow for longer. So the hair fibre is thicker. So your hair is thicker. So mm. uh, absolutely, that's that's one treatment. And it, it doesn't work for everybody, but it, it can work. Absolutely. Then the, the second one has a brand name called Propecia. Um, the active ingredient is finasteride. 
And it's, a, again, a drug uh, more commonly known as Proscar, which was given to men or is given to men for prostate cancer. And what they discovered, again, is because of the way that it has an effect on a particular hormone called dihydrotestosterone, uh, that essentially uh, that hormone is responsible for, for the miniaturization of the hair follicle. And uh, what it does is it stops that hormone from having that effect. Mm-hmm. So they, it, it's, it, whereas in Proscar, it's 5% finasteride. In, in Propecia, what's used on your scalp is 1%. And again, it's very, very effective. Uh, mm-hmm. Very, very effective. And particularly, you know, if you, if you, st- if you start it early enough, However, there is one drawback to it, and that is what's called post-finasteroid syndrome. And that is men who are taking it uh, sometimes, you know, notice particular side effects, John. And um, what they're saying is that uh, even when they stop taking it, the side effects may continue. Now, there's no kind of major research done on this, but if anybody was thinking about taking something like finasteroid or Propecia, I would certainly, um, you know, do my research on it and be happy to take it. We keep hearing about it, say, you know, nowadays with vaccines and everything else like that. Everything that you take has got a side effect. And is the side effect worth, you know, worth it or the potential side effect worth it? Mm. So, yeah, that's the only caution that I would have about that but certainly as a treatment for hair loss it works very very effectively. How do you feel about hair transplants Liam? Uh, If you're the right candidate for hair transplants absolutely. Uh, So hair transplants work uh, by taking hair from the back of the head which is not affected by this hormone called uh, dihydrotestosterone. So that's why, you know, men who are completely bald, they, they always have this kind of horseshoe-shaped pattern of hair at the back mm. of the head. So what you do is you take hair follicles from the back of the head, Joan, and you then put them in on the top. Um, and really, you know, it's the skill of the surgeon or the skill of the, the person who's doing it, which you know, that makes a, a successful hair transplant. But the, the hair that's at the back of your head is not affected by this hormone, so therefore it will grow. It will and grow again, back, yeah. anybody thinking about that, I would get, you know, very, very good advice on that. Because it's become almost trendy nowadays, people travelling abroad for hair transplants. You see it a lot. You do, that's right. Yeah. Uh, to places like Turkey and so on. Yeah, before, yeah. there's kind of, well, pre, pre-COVID. Pre-COVID. Well, it was nearly a tourism It thing. was, it was, but yeah. But again, again um, you know, I've seen some good examples from Turkey and I've also seen some horrific examples from Turkey. So, yeah, yeah. yeah look, it, it, my advice to you is, you know, seek out uh, good advice mm. um, because it's, if it's not done right, uh, you know, it's it's kind of, yeah, the scarring is with you for life. Yeah, and it's a, it's a lot of pain and a lot of money to go through to come back Absolutely. with a disaster. Well, summer's yeah. coming, of course, and hopefully we'll see a bit of good sunshine. How important is it to protect our scalps from the sun? Uh, that That's a very, very good uh, question, uh, particularly... Uh, yeah, you know, people forget about that, that yeah. you know, our skin, our, you know, they, they think about the skin on, on our face and they forget that the skin does continue on past our hairline. Um, so it's vital that you actually protect your scalp because people think that your hair protects you from ultraviolet light, but actually it doesn't. Yeah. So it's very, very mm-hmm. important. Mm-hmm. Um, also, ultraviolet light has a destructive effect on the hair, so it does damage the hair. So there are products now with, with sun protection factors in them um, and they will basically protect the hair and the scalp, particularly, you know, if we get a good spell of weather or yeah. if we're ever able to go on this yeah. again. Yeah. <laughs> OK, well, that's good to know. That's good to know. So I tell yeah. you now that all that advice has been absolutely wonderful. So consultant trichologist Liam Byrne, thank you so much for your time this afternoon. You're very welcome. Joan. Take care. Bye bye. You too as well. Bye. Welcome back to the programme. Now I'm going to talk to an amazing man who's just completed a gruelling challenge that would push the limits of endurance for the most of us. Keith Russell, good afternoon. You're still awake. You're welcome to late lunch. Thanks very much. I am still awake. You finished (laughs) this race at four o'clock this morning. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah, it started at 12 o'clock on Saturday. And you finished four this morning. We'll go back to the start. You're a keen runner, to say the least, and you're well known for your charitable endeavours. But this latest one is a step above because you took part in, not just took part in, you won the last one standing event in County Down. Can you tell us a bit about it? What was involved? 
I can. It's well. It's originally uh, from Tennessee in America. So uh, basically, it goes six point seven kilometers every hour. Um, so you can do it as fast or slow as you uh, as you want, um, as long as you're back in the corral at the top of every hour to go again. And the race has no finish line. It just keeps going until everyone everyone drops out. Literally, only one person left. Literally, the last man standing. Absolutely, yeah. Well, last one standing. <laughs> oh, last one, because of course the ladies are involved in this Absolutely. as well. But it happened to be your good self, so you were the last one standing. So it was. you had to run 6.7 kilometres every hour. So what was your time coming in per hour, would you say? So I was averaging in around 46 minutes uh, per, per loop, um, which okay. sort of gave me 10 minutes to, say, get something to eat, or if I wanted 10 minutes to sleep, um and like that's really all you were getting. So um, I had my brother and a friend of mine crewing for me as well. So they were swapping. Um, so I think every three hours it was like a big feed, and then another. Then it was like go for sleep for ten minutes. Um, you could sleep for ten minutes and get up and run again. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're yeah. putting the rest of us to shame, I swear, honest to God, Keith, you're putting the rest of us to shame. It usually takes me at least 10 minutes or more to fall asleep. I mean, how do you literally stop running, catch your breath, sleep for 10 minutes and get up and run again? You see, at the, at the start, you're, you're not really fully asleep. Do you know what I mean? Because there is a lot of noise around. Mm. Um, so you're, you're basically just trying to relax your body. Um, but like as it goes on, like we were there for 63 hours. Um, so on the latter end of it, you're just that shattered, like you're running and you're falling asleep. So yeah, by the yeah. time you get to sit down, you do doze off. And when someone wakes you up, it's like you're nearly disorientated. You don't know where you are. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but you, ha- you have to get up and go back out and start running again. So that power nap would carry you through then for the next, say, 46 minutes of running? It, it'd probably carry you through for a couple of hours. Would it? Yeah, 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 absolutely. So it's not about being the fastest, it's endurance, really? Not at all. Not at all. It's not about being fast at all. Um, mm. All about endurance, yeah. yeah. So, of course, you're no stranger to running um, running at all. You ran the, the marathon in Dublin several times, didn't you? I ran a few times, all right. <laughs> Memorably, in 2017, pushing your little yeah. girl, Alana, in, in her special running chair. You raised €60,000 for the Meadows Children's Respite Centre in Navan at that one, Keats. That was an amazing achievement. I did, indeed. And just, just going back to last one standing, um, at the weekend, I actually broke the UK, Ireland and European record as well. That's an amazing achievement. Oh, it's an amazing that, achievement, yeah. isn't it? How are you yeah. feeling after it? Oh, I'm delighted. Um, I just, like I said, I, can't, I haven't slept since I came home. So mm. um, I suppose it's just trying to catch up on everything and, and try and take it all in, you know. Um, yeah. You know, I, like I, I was going up to I was injured for three weeks before it. Um, so I didn't even know if I was going to run it. I couldn't run two weeks before it. Um, but I was also doing it to help uh, a young fella, a little five-year-old boy in Melbourne, you know. Little Nyan, we spoke to his mum, Ravija, yesterday. Yeah, he did indeed. And they're trying to raise 375000 to bring little Nyan to New York for treatment for neuroblastoma. You don't yeah. know yet, of course, how much money was raised from this event, no? I don't, because I just shared their GoFundMe link. Um, yeah. But um, uh, his mother was on to me a few times over the weekend, you know, yeah. um, just sending me messages. And it was just, I tell you, it was just brilliant. It was just lovely, you know. Um, yeah. And having something like that to, to keep you going through the, the dark hours. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's just incredible. Um, and it, like, as I said, oh, like everybody deserves a chance of life. Um, like he's, he, he needs this, like, you know, he doesn't need a relapse. No. Um, you know. No, she was explaining it to us yesterday that, yeah. it, you know, the the survival rate for relapse is just, we won't even talk about it. So yeah, he really absolutely. needs to get to New York to get this. So anybody, of course, is there a GoFundMe page still open for this, Keith? There is. If you want on, on uh, Facebook and Instagram, yeah, there's a GoFundMe link there. Um, I just direct everybody to there, you know. Yeah. Um, because I have my own one through Team Alana, but um, that, that's nothing. That's that's just our, our own thing that we do. Yeah. So often, you know. Yeah, of uh, course. Yeah, because there's so many, so many people looking for fundraising. You know. And, yeah. Um, yeah. Like to, to help as much as we can. So, can you tell us what's next for yourself? Have you have you plans? Are, are there other big events? I believe you're thinking of going to the states if that becomes possible. Well, that's I got a, a golden coin yesterday in that race to, to go to. Um, Tennessee Big Dogs uh, Backyard which is origin- the original um, last one standing 
Um, so it's, it's invite only. So um, I got an entry into that. I actually um, I became probably one of the top 10 ultra runners in the world to, to hit uh, 63 hours in last one standing as well. So, um, yeah, it's, you know, things are... Things are starting to pick up, you know. Um, and um, like Keith, the way you're kind of just sitting there and you're so casually saying, you know, I'm going to become one of the yeah in the world, yeah, yeah, you know, it's an amazing achievement. It's you're so humble. It's an absolutely incredible achievement. I hope you're proud of yourself. You just, your whole family must be so proud of you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I like. Look, I, I don't really, I sort of don't really look into it that much. Do you know what I mean? I sort of mm. like train for these events like like training block could be six months long you know um and it's intense so like to to race and especially with with covid and stuff like that there wasn't that many races going ahead so you're training with the possibility of no race at the end of it and so i was lucky enough that this one was going ahead and um and thankfully it did and it was just it was absolutely and the weather was fantastic and i think that's why everyone stayed out for so long yeah we had four runners um, for 20 hours in that race. It's incredible. It's an incredible achievement for you to, to, it's absolutely to think that two weeks beforehand you didn't think you'd be able to run it and to, it. to run it, to keep going and to win it is incredible. Well done, Keith. You're some man for one man, as they say. <laughs> the best of luck. <laughs> get some sleep now. Try and get the head down and get a few hours sleep. I'll try and get a bit anyway. Well done. Congratulations from all of us here in LMFM and indeed the whole country, everyone who's listening. Keith Russell, thanks a million. Thank you very much. Take care. Bye bye. Now, my next guest is a regular on the programme, our very own super vet, Sinead Kelly. How are you doing, Sinead? Wow, I like that. That's a very, <laughs> I wouldn't be claiming to be super vet now, but uh, yeah, I do, I suppose. I'm some kind of vet of some description. How are you? I'm uh, fine. Listen, you're our super vet. That's, that's all that counts. <laughs> Listen to me, I'm going to get straight down to questions from listeners, if that's all right with you. Yeah, no worries. Um, So we're going to talk allergies first, if that's all right, because it's that time of the year, I suppose, where some people suffering from pollen and whatever else, and it's the same for the animals. The question in, visiting my in-laws this week after many months and our dog, who is a pug, he's eight years of age, suffered breathing difficulties and a rash on his belly, itchy welts all over his legs. My mother-in-law said she couldn't understand what was causing this, but after a while, admitted she'd sprayed all the furniture and the carpets (laughs) with a fabric freshener. (laughs) 240 euro at the vets for steroid injections and a lot of worry for me is this normal okay well there's kind of two issues in there Uh, the first issue um, could lead us down a bit of a rabbit hole but we'll start off so the first issue is pugs are one of the kind of dogs that we call brachycephalics or Mm. basically flat faced or squash faced dogs Mm. now because humans decided over the years that they wanted dogs to look like babies uh, we have selectively bred certain breeds to look as cute and cute and cute as possible and by human's definition cute means having a squashed flat face and big bulging eyes and so breeds like pugs are, are bred to look like that um, and the problem is that there's just not enough room in their nose at the back of their throat for all the structures that should be there their soft palate their tongue mm. everything that goes around their, their larynx and pharynx and so pugs by definition uh, forever are on the edge of a respiratory crisis because they just don't have enough room to breathe oxygen in. So it may be certainly that the breathing issues were triggered as part of an overall allergic reaction, but that's not as common as it would be, say, in, in people. So it's possible that the breathing crisis was triggered, yeah, by an allergic reaction to the to the spray or whatever, or it could just be that something has pushed them over the edge as a brachycephalic dog. And okay. in those kind of dogs where there's so little room for normal uh, breathing movements and so little room for for the normal soft tissues the things that push them over the edge are things just like any kind of stress hot weather uh, not getting enough water um, you know maybe uh, running a bit too far doing a bit too much exercise so so anyone who has a dog like that uh, A as soon as you get them as a puppy you get them insured because they're going to cost you a bloody fortune otherwise Um, and uh, and remember that you have chosen to have this kind of dog so you are bringing all this upon yourself, you know, they, yeah. they, they will never breathe normally and that's because we as mm. humans wanted them to look that way. Oh, yeah. So, so okay. that's the first issue for your squash-nosed dog. Um, the allergic side of it, uh, certainly a lot of dogs will have um, allergies or allergic skin disease. The, the fancy name for, it is, uh, name for it is atopic dermatitis or allergic inhalant dermatitis and basically it's quite common for, for lots of different breeds or even crossbreeds that they would have a kind of hereditary tendency that their immune system would overreact 
to allergens or proteins that normally most normal animals or people wouldn't react to. Mm. So in the same way that often we would see children with eczema or in the same way that, that children are triggered with asthma, it's a similar kind of reaction. Uh, but essentially in these circumstances, allergens in the environment, inhaled allergens, uh, trigger these kind of immune complexes and they settle out in very specific places. So often these dogs are itchy around their ears, around their face uh, and all ventrally. So the, the, the bottom of their, you know, underneath their, their tummy, um, in their groin, in their armpits, places like that. And the, the problem is that you're looking at 500 plus potential allergens. Uh, the most common allergens are things like house dust mice, house dust, um, but you can go to things such as, you know, different pollens, different grasses. Yeah. So they tend to be, these problems tend to be worse in the spring and summer when there's more kind of different pollens yeah. around. Now, if your dog is insured or if you have a private helicopter, then you can arrange for <laughs> extremely in-depth allergen testing to be carried out to try and find out what it is your dog's allergic to. Now, that's perhaps of benefit if it's just one or two things, because again, you can get, uh, there's a company in Holland that will make up a specific kind of immunotherapy vaccine to try and de sensitize your dogs these yeah. allergens yeah. but that's really only available for the, the people who have insurance or who have an unlimited supply of money for everybody else um, once your dog has been diagnosed as having allergic skin disease and really it means a trip to the vet and your vet has got to exclude everything else so they've got to exclude the simple things like uh, parasites like fleas um, like the little microscopic mange mites that mm. cause sarcoptic mange or demodectic mange um, or, or things like food mm. allergy which is another kind of allergy uh, once they've, they've concluded that it's a A to B or this allergic inhalant dermatitis that there's two basic options. Um, the, the cheapest chips, cheerful option um, uh, are corticosteroids uh, and they are very effective at reducing um, itchiness. The problem with them is they have lots of side effects. So um, they increase appetite, increase thirst um, and if, if used long term then they will affect the liver um, yeah. they'll cause weight gain and, and they're not a good idea. Um, so what most people tend to try and do is use them for short bursts in as low a dose as possible and try and get them down off them as quickly as possible. If you're on a high dose of steroid and you stop it suddenly, you can trigger a, a reaction called Addison's disease because you've replaced the body's steroids then you suddenly take it away and, and they have a bit mm. of a crash. If you have a little bit more money in the bank, um, then there's a very effective drug called Apoquel or another one called Atopica, which are also immune suppressants um, like corticosteroids are, but they don't have these, these, these nasty side effects. The disadvantages are much more expensive. So whereas you could get a month's supply of corticosteroids for fiber, um, a month's supply of um, Atopica or Apoquel, you're probably looking at about 60 euros. Sinead, uh, so I've been down this road. I've yeah. been down. I am an yeah. Apoquel. I am yeah. Apoquel. Yeah. I have an allergic dog myself. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wasn't so asking for me, but since there. you mentioned Apoquel, yeah, I know yeah. that. The, and he's only been on it for, he's been on it for about five or six weeks. Yeah. So due to replace that. Yeah, but it's working a treat for him and I didn't yeah, want to keep him on it steroids. It's very effective. It doesn't have yeah. the side effects, but mm. the only disadvantage is the cost, you know, and yeah. I say, that's why I yeah. say to everybody, when you get your new puppy, your new kitten, your new mm. dog, that is when to get it insured. If you wait until they develop something, the insurance company will exclude that from your things that are insured. Ah, uh, unfortunately, Michael is a rescue and he's too old. <laughs> and certain breeds are more prone to A to B. Oh, tell me about it. The list. Um, it's often the short-coated dogs, um, but again, it can happen to any kind. So yeah, yeah, unfortunately for that listener, I'm really sorry. That's the big bill. Oh, look, at, I know it is, but he's a rescue and too old to be insured, I think. Exactly. And he's, um, well, it, yeah. gets, it gets really difficult. It gets really difficult. But as I say, people end up, it's, it's like you, you get what you pay for. So ah, the yeah. steroids are, are cheap, um, but they have the side effects. So we try and get them on very short course, wean them off them, and then often it flares up again. Yeah. And often these dogs start off bad in the spring and summer, and then as the immune system becomes more and more triggered and exposed, they become allergic to more and more things. So sometimes you might do allergy testing on these dogs and they might come back as allergic to three or four things. Sometimes they come back as 30, 40, 50 plus. Now, there's no yeah. way you're going to be able to make a vaccine to desensitize those yeah. dogs. You know, so it's, it's very right. difficult. Let's move on. Another question. My dog eats grass, then he vomits, then he eats the vomit. Okay. So <laughs> Can I do anything about eating, this? <laughs> a little bit of grass eating and the odd vomit. Uh, and by that I mean like once or twice a week. As long as we are eating and drinking normally and we're keeping our food down and we're bright and jolly and happy, we tend not to worry about it. Uh, grass is a natural emetic for carnivores. So whereas um, cattle and sheep will eat grass and that's perfect for them, if a dog eats grass it tends to um, trigger nausea and vomiting. And there's some kind of strange thing in dogs that just such that if they feel a bit sicky, um, it's like their instinct tells them to eat grass to kind of purge themselves of whatever's mm. in there. Now, so sometimes we'll see it in a very benign form. So a lot of dogs, if they have an empty tummy in the morning, first thing in the morning, they eat the grass because they feel a bit 
empty sicky tummy like like often a lot of people do so as I say if everything else is grand and it's once or twice a week no worries but you've got to watch because sometimes dogs will feel sick because they have a significant issue say for example they've eaten something that's got stuck mm. and they have an intestinal obstruction and these dogs will have this persistent stimulus uh, to vomit or feel nauseous and their, their instinct drives them to eat a lot of grass so mm. it's not something to be ignored if it's happening every day and if the dog is, is, is not keeping food or water down in particular the thing about vomiting up and eating it again it sounds a bit gross to us but it's perfectly normal you know dogs yeah. are the consummate mm. scavenger so they yeah. will eat anything you know <laughs> so they won't let anything go to waste moving on to pussy cats for a minute if that's alright yeah. um, a listener says I have a white cat I have been told to put sunscreen on the cat if the weather picks up do I need to do this yeah so the problem with white cats especially if the tips of their ears don't have much fur is that they're prone in the first instance to sunburn and in the second instance then they are very very sensitive to the risk of developing uh, skin cancer and the most common skin cancer in cats would be a squamous cell carcinoma which is really really nasty uh, and so often these cats if, if you, you you often have to amputate the tips of their ears or their mm. ears if it's, if it's not caught quickly enough mm. so, so that is the advice now the difficult thing anyone who has a cat will know well what does the cat do when you put something on his ears and uh, licks it off you know they'll, they'll put their foot up over the ear and then they'll lick it wipe off wipe it off and lick it off the paw yeah Yeah. so I'm always a little bit kind of mm, I don't know how effective that is I have to say yeah. uh, as well you've got to be very careful because I mean significant amounts of, of a cat ingesting suntan lotion is probably not going to be very beneficial for it so I would say in the first instance your best bet is to limit exposure um, so if your cat is a cat who, who has always been outdoors and always loves being outdoors um, you may just have to try and limit that to maybe only letting them out um, in the same way that we keep the kids covered up from 10 until 4 you're only letting the cat out you know uh, very early morning or, or much much later in the afternoon yeah. um, so that's probably more ideal and if you can't avoid that go for your suntan lotion but just be aware that probably a lot of it will come off and the other thing is just a lot of observations so if you see any changes in the skin of the ear any redness any irritation any little lumps or bumps you go straight to the vet Do you know what I was thinking Sinead the other day I saw mm. a dog tied up outside a shop now yeah. I thought people weren't doing this anymore because there's oh, a huge increase in dog thefts yeah, yeah. and I mean what about microchipping are you? Are some people coming in to get the dogs microchipped? It is the law now; they're supposed to be microchipped. Oh, yeah, I mean, for a long time. So, I mean, How every important? dog. I mean, no dog is even supposed to leave where it was bred without being microchipped. So, and every dog, mm. every dog in the land is supposed to be microchipped. And if you possess a dog that's not microchipped, you're breaking the law. And if the dog warden comes and catches you, you're you're gonna, you know, you're up for for a fine, a significant fine. Um, so, from a safety point of view, obviously, if your dog does get lost or wander or get stolen, uh, then if your dog is microchipped, then um, if they're found by a member of the public and brought to any vet or a guard station or rescue centre they'll be scanned it happens all the time at work so one of the lovely things at work is if somebody comes in they find something you phone the number up and you're able to reunite them the frustrating thing is is the microchip is only as good as the contact details on record and what a lot yeah. of people do is they forget to update the details if they move house or sometimes people buy a dog or acquire a dog and they don't update uh, the microchip register online and so the details are in the name of the old owner um, yeah. so as I say you just got to keep that updated but yes absolutely they must be microchipped again if you've got a cat get the cat microchipped you know a lot yeah. of people go why would you do that but you know again cats get lost probably more commonly than dogs do um, you know so, so definitely definitely it's a very good idea to get it done and please don't leave your dog tied up outside no, a shop no, even no, for 10 no. seconds I mean, number one they might get away and get knocked down but number two unfortunately yeah somebody might steal them so definitely don't it do takes that. less than 10 seconds to steal your dog from outside a shop oh yeah like, it's crazy it's, it's crazy. crazy it's crazy yeah. so what kind of things are you seeing a lot in the surgery now coming into the summertime I presume like uh, I remember a dog I had one time got sunstroke I didn't yeah, think a dog yeah, could get yeah. sunstroke so, I mean, the, most, the thing about the summer is that there's just everything increases people are out and about more they're walking more walking longer walking longer in the day more animals are getting knocked down because they're off the lead longer more animals are cutting their feet because they're out longer on the broken glass um, so you get more, bro- more broken legs more injuries more allergies as you say more heat stroke and then the animals that would maybe have had pre-existing heart conditions or breathing difficulties like the brachycephalics once it starts getting to the hot weather you'd see a lot of those that the heat has just pushed them over the edge so they would have been able to manage they would have been noisy breathers but they would have been okay mm-hmm. and suddenly it gets to a hot day and even something as simple as I mean hopefully everyone knows now not to leave a dog in the car but I don't think that's got through to some people but even something as simple as dogs are like cats they're sun worshippers your dog falls asleep you're, you know your squash faced dog falls asleep in the sun in the window uh, and they just will overheat so much that they'll end up in a lot of breathing difficulties so again a lot of common sense when you look yeah. back at it but maybe that we don't really think of you know un- until something happens It is common sense and it's year after year after year you get the warnings don't leave your dogs in the car yeah, and every, every year, year you get these horrible horrible, horrible stories horrible or you see people smashing the glass on somebody's yeah, car and yeah, then there's war yeah. and it takes a, yeah. such a teeny tiny amount of time and if anybody has ever had to sit in a car that has no air conditioning uh, or where they can't open the windows it gets 
you know, or you come back into the car having, you know, yourself without the dog, you just get in the car and you're like, Jesus, you know, the steering wheel is roasting. It's really, really horrible, you know. So, I mean, it's probably one of the most hideous ways to die. So, yeah, please don't do so that. So sit in the car with a fur coat on and see know, how long it takes. I know, it's just horrible. It's yeah, just it horrible. is. Well, yeah. you know what? There's a lot to be going on with there. Thanks yeah, a million, yeah. Sinead. <laughs> Hopefully I'll talk to you again soon, but thanks yeah, a million for all you your today. advice. Take no care worries. of yourself. Take care. Have a great day. Bye. Bye-bye. Now, we've had loads of reaction to our item with our own super vet, Sinead Kelly, there. And actually, our own Louise inadvertently had one of her questions answered about her dog who likes to uh, eat the grass and then um, he gets a little bit sick and then he, um, yeah, he, he decides to uh, eat it again. And Sinead, Sinead said, this is perfectly normal, Louise. We were talking there during mm. the song and Louise doesn't, yeah, she's not <laughs> buying that at all, are you? That is perfectly normal. Oh, it's just horrible to see. It, you do worry that there's something wrong, but then to hear that it's perfectly normal, yeah. you think. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's just softer and tastier, I guess. I don't know, but they're doing it. Just only cows did that. They're just doing it because they're dogs. They're just doing it because they're dogs. It's perfectly normal. So, you know, now he's fine. He's fine. We were also chatting off air about getting back to normal. And yesterday was such a great day and the buzz around the place. I actually mm. was driving through RD on my way home yesterday evening and the buzz around the town. It was just brilliant to see so many people out and out shopping and people with lovely new haircuts and hairdos. And it was just lovely. So you have to get the hair done before you did the shopping for clothes anyway. Oh, that's what they were saying. Yeah, yeah. you have to go in looking your very, very best. So we were talking about this off air and thinking, when are we going to be able to get in and get a hair? I'm getting my hair cut tomorrow morning, Louise. Uh, and I just got an appointment for Saturday. At the I ungodly hour of nine o'clock in the morning. I, I wouldn't mind. Done. I get up at seven. <laughs> to get your hair done? I would, yeah. Oh my God, no. No, I wouldn't. But I'm, yeah, I'm in tomorrow morning because I have um, a usually, normally, a very heavy fringe. I like my fringe very heavy, you know, and it's actually down past my chin now, my fringe. So <laughs> I'm actually so looking forward to getting my hair cut tomorrow morning, nine o'clock. So they're, I mean, they're taking, yeah, they're taking bookings at seven in the morning, some of the hairdressers. I feel like it out of the Adams family. <laughs> <laughs> I do. It's just it's just everywhere. And then when we get the hair done, then we go shopping. Is that right? You yes. and I will meet up and we go shopping. We had a very funny story Louise was telling us about skinny jeans. You know, they're all. I can't like, get skinny jeans that and go Louise, over my heels. Louise, I must t- have massive heels. You're and tiny. Yeah, I mean, you're literally a tiny well, girl. Um, well. Like my the, ankles and heels don't think so because the jeans won't. I'm literally like pulling them, and, and, and they still they're stuck. And the skinny jeans won't go up over her ankles. So she's no. calling her ankles. Do you have a new name for them? What are they? They're fankles. Fat ankles. Fankles. <laughs> cankles. Whatever you want to call them. I'm just going to have to just buy flares. But you know, the flares are all in. I see a lot of youngsters out there. My own nieces. I'm not they're 14 they're, anymore. Yeah, my niece, she's 16. Yeah, she can rock them, you know. I mean, it's just, yeah. Oh, look, at come back to us the next time and we'll tell you how we got on. We'll I don't know. We'll be very fashionistas. We'll take photographs, stick July. them on the website of the new hairdos and the flares and the skinny <laughs> jeans and the whole lot. We won't. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and making plans for travel and booking flights and the whole lot. Oh, look at things are getting back to normal, guys. It's just going to be great. Thankfully, hopefully we have a great summer ahead. Listen, we've lots more to talk about, but we're coming up close to news. So we've got to take a break. But do stay with us. Loads more after three. You're very welcome back to the final segment of the programme. Now, my final guest, I've really been looking forward to talking to this man. He's originally from North County, Dublin, but decided a few years ago to set up a new life in the south of Spain. He now runs his own walking tours business in the south of Spain. John Kyo, you're very welcome to Late Lunch. Much, John. It's a pleasure to be here. Great to talk to you, John. I suppose we want to find out what life is like in these COVID times in Spain. But first of all, what made you up sticks and leave uh, Dublin and head off to Spain? I suppose it was um, at the end of the 2008 period when the financial crisis was kicking in and um, I was looking, there was a lot of changes in the workplace where I was at the time and uh, we were starting to downsize. It was a family business and we were starting to downsize and look for ways to cut back and I thought this might be an opportunity actually to do something that I'd always wanted to do which was to live abroad. I'm, I'm I'm one of five siblings, and they've all lived abroad and worked abroad, but I had never done that at that stage. I was about 45, and I thought, I'd like to do it and work in a place foreign, um, not retire, but actually work and live in it. Mm. So I took that opportunity then and headed off to Spain. And did you go initially as a holiday or just to scout out a few places and have a look around and see what would appeal to you? Well, actually, it was quite by accident that I found the place that I was looking at. Um, I hadn't been to Spain before, and I was there the year before on a, on a, on a driving holiday. So I drove into Jue- uh, from Juarez in the, in the west of the, of the uh, Malaga province, and I headed across eastwards, and I came to Nerja. And there was a signpost in Nerja for a place called Frigliana. 
and uh, I knew the name of the place from a song by Christy Moore mm. Liston Varna yeah. and um, it just triggered a memory and I thought let's go and have a look at this place and we fell in love we went up and we fell in love with the place and we just uh, we, within two years we were living there Beautiful um, white village in the mountains above Nerica. place, about six kilometres from the coast. Yeah, and it was uh, it was idyllic. It's got about three thousand people living in it. Um, about a thousand are foreigners, about two thousand Spanish. Great mix of different nationalities and uh, very friendly and yeah. a very welcoming place. So we thought this would be a great place to set up. And it was in the mountains. I'm from Fingal, which is like Holland. Right? Yes. From here yes. to Drogheda, there's near the hill to be seen. Yeah. And I loved hiking. And I said to my wife, Christine, I said, I don't care where we go, Christine, really. I just want to go to the mountains. And this was the place that we found. And you fell in love with the place. So then did you have to sit down and say, right, what can I do here to earn a crust? Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the first year we sold a house and had a few quid. So we, 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 we decided to rent for a couple of years rather than mm. commit immediately. And we thought, well, we'll rent a house for, you know, two years, let's say. And then we'll have a look around and see if it suits us. And if it doesn't, well, then we may have to move on or move home or whatever. But we'll give it a go that way. And uh, the first year was spent learning Spanish. We went into it full time, five hours a day, five days a week for four months. It was like going to work every morning and we learned Spanish. And then once we had a good handle of the language, we then, after about eight, nine months, we began to look around. And Christine is a dental nurse, so she picked up work fairly quick. But I'm a kind of a jack of all trades and a master of none. But I loved (laughs) hiking and I'd been doing loads of hiking in this year off. So Christine says, why don't you take a few people out into the hills while you're looking for a job? So this was a kind of a stopgap while I was looking for a real job. Yeah, and, uh, it stuck. <laughs> a real job. John Kill Walking Tours was born. Yep, that's basically it. And uh, 2010, that was. Started it up, got it insured, got it registered, got myself my license and, uh, and started the whole uh, shebang. And it was three days a week and it started off really slowly. But once the name got out after a year or so, it started to really pick up and, 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 and take off. And, of course, hill walking in Ireland is, is a big pastime. But uh, mm. hill walking in Spain is not so big. So there's very little signs. The maps are really poor. And uh, you really need to know where you're going when you go up into the mountains because they're mm. big mountains, 2,000 metres high in the mm. area where I live, which is much higher than anything we have here yeah. in Ireland. And uh, so from that point of view, uh, it was good to know the route. So if you're coming for a week's holiday, you don't really want the anxiety of going out into the hills and wondering, where the hell am I going? Mm. So the, uh, as a guide, it became really popular. So you had to go walk these trails yourself and learn where you were yeah. and how to get back down. And then before you could take people with you, obviously. So, I mean, John, you know, living in Spain, it seems like a dream to a lot of Irish people. Is it? Is it a dream? Uh, for me so far, it has been great. Yes, mm. it has been very, very good. I think, you know, um, I suppose from, from the point of view of some of the things that I've noticed from, from people who where it doesn't work out for them is that you can be too rigid in what you want to do. Uh, you go over with a pre-prepared plan and if it doesn't go exactly the way you, you want, the head can drop and you can lose interest and you can lose heart. Mm. Um, I, me and Christy, we went over, we had no real plan. Yeah. We were just going to learn Spanish for a year and then just <laughs> see what the hell happens. So um, the John Kill walking tours thing was just a fluke. There was no yeah. pre-planning in that. That was literally something just to fill in the gaps. But life has a way. the name slightly, yeah. uh, Joan, because the K-E-O-G-H doesn't stick with the foreigners, the Swedes, the Dutch, yeah. the, the, the Danes, the Norwegians, the Brits. They don't actually pronounce my name properly. It's always Kjog or Kug or yeah. whatever. <laughs> so I dropped the G-H. So you're K-E-O if anyone is K-E-O looking for you. If, uh, John yeah, Kill walking tours. Yeah. And you know, you're in a beautiful, beautiful part of Spain, but I suppose things have been very quiet the past year. How's business been affected by the whole COVID crisis? Yeah, yeah, dead as dodo. I mean, the bars are open, the restaurants are open, the beaches are open, everything is going, but there's no tourists. There's no people there, yeah. And um, so what I was being relying on is what we call residential uh, clients. Now, mm. residential clients are basically foreigners who live in Spain all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And those folks have been keeping me ticking over. Many of them have become great friends. Yeah. 
and they mm-hmm. have supported me and looked after me and they've, uh, they've come out my hikes when they really didn't have to come out my hikes because they've done them all ten times before. <laughs> and these folks were great and they've kept us on the, on the... They've kept our head above water, let's say. Well, but we're really looking forward to seeing the, the flights coming back. Hopefully now everything will get back to some kind of normality soon. But this job of walking in the mountains every day, of course, has your health improved, your general lifestyle improved? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, um, I've got... I've, I've, the COVID has hit us hard and health, for me personally, I was hit hard with it in, in December, January. I picked up the bug and I was I was laid back out with it. Mm. But my recovery has been very good because I've been back in hiking three days a week once I got over the bug and I found it to be brilliant as a recovery. Uh, in general, I mean, I've been hiking now for 10 years. Um, I'm susceptible, I'm afraid, to uh, jam donuts. And <laughs> I thought you were going to say something really serious there. <laughs> Jam don't anything with sugar in it. Oh God, I don't drink, right. I don't smoke, but I have me. I have these little faults. You're a sugar fiend. I'm a sugar fiend. I'm a sugar fiend. Yeah. And come here, John. Tell me this: Are there any drawbacks to living in Spain? Like, or is there anything you really, really miss about Ireland? Uh, uh, brown bread. Mm. Um, open fires. Right. Uh, the color green. I mean, emerald green. You don't really like. You don't realize how green this country is until you've been out of it for a long time. Um, family. Yeah, of course. And, um, and really, that's, that's the, they're the big thing. Sometimes it's food. There's comfort foods that I can get my hands on that I know where to go and I'll get something nice to eat mm. and it will remind me. Um, a big open fire. I'm, I'm actually visiting my, my home at the moment, uh, parents' home, and there's a big open fire there and I'm lighting it every night and the sun is shining outside and the lads are saying, what are you doing? <laughs> and of course and you just love that. It's great. It's great. You know, and I love it. And uh, that kind of thing has been great. And then, of course, what I also miss as well, of course, is I was out hiking up in uh, Schlievenaglock in, uh, in the Coolies on Saturday last. Mm, beautiful with, spot. Um, yeah, with Damien and Margaret Godwin. They, they run a, a walking business up there, hiking.ie. And they uh, they brought me to some places in the coolies that are just fantastic, and I love the coolies. Oh, they're beautiful. I started in Wicklow, but the coolies was the place that I ended up doing most coolies and morns, mm. and uh, and I missed that. I missed those hikes in bog, and I missed those hikes in heather. Yeah, because I'm usually hiking in scrub and. Uh, it's dusty and it's hot. Yeah. And we're talking instead of talking about Gore-Tex and are your boats dry or your socks dry. I'm talking about have you got sun cream? Have you got a hat? Have you got glasses? A few little snacks to keep the energy levels you know, up as well. Like yeah. that. Have yeah. you got three liters of water? Yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah. And um, and it's a whole different conversation when you're out walking and hiking. So I, I kind of miss the Irish stuff as well. Yeah, I'm sure it's lovely to be home for the moment. And your dad, you must be delighted. Your dad has a Dundalk connection, hasn't he? Dad, believe it or not, played for Dundalk Football Club in around, I think, 1970-71 season. And he still talks about it, I bet you. Well, he does. He does indeed. Uh, I think him and Liam Toohey came up from Shamrock Rovers. Both of them had been there for a, for a good few years and um, and they came to, to Dundalk and they played there for a season or so. So he's delighted to have you home at the moment anyway. He is indeed. And John, the walking tours will be back up and running. Are you expecting a busy summer? No, not summer. Summer's never busy right. for us. Um, my season runs from October to May. It's an eight-month year. Mm. Um, that's the hiking season. It's the height of, of what we would call winter, uh, autumn, winter, and spring here is my high season for hiking. Summer is my low season because in Too July hot. and August, yeah. you really don't want to go out in that. June and September are what I call shoulder seasons. They mm. can be good. If it's too hot, it can be, you know, it can turn people off. If it's if it's in the low twenties or mid twenties, you're okay. Yeah. It's a, there's a there's a heat wave down there today, this weekend, and it's in the high twenties. It's pretty hot, but you can still hike. Yeah. Well, do you know what? The very best of luck. And do you know what? When things open up and people are able to travel, hopefully later on this year, if they fancy, we say a gentle ramble or even a good hike in the mountains, where can they contact you? Oh, if they could, if they could go onto the internet, they can find me on John Kyo Walking Tours and Google or uh, hikingwalkingspain.com and I'm on Facebook and John Kyo Walking Tours and I'm on Instagram as John Kyo Walking Tours. Well, listen, the best of luck. Enjoy the rest of your time home and have a safe journey back. Thanks, Very John. Kind, John. Thank Thanks a million. million. Take care of yourself. Well, that's it for another late lunch. My thanks to all my guests today and to you as always for listening and, of course, my lovely producer, Louise. Jerry's back with you tomorrow. So till next time, stay safe and take care. 
The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drogheda, Dundalk and Cavan. We have the biggest range of light commercials in the northeast with same-day business finance, so let our van specialist Danny find a commercial vehicle to suit your requirements. See blackstonemotors.ie. Okay, I have two new obsessions that I need to share with you. Impress No Glue Press-On Mannies and Impress Press-On Falsies Lashes. Trust me, these are getting ready game changers. Both require no glue, so there is no damage to your natural nails and lashes, no mess, and no annoying dry times. Just one step and you're done. Boom. Instant glam. Visit impressbeauty.com slash presson and use code PRESSON25 at checkout for 25% off Impress Manicure and Press-On Falsies. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 